This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. Celebrating Wharton's reunion weekend, where past alumni have gathered to reconnect and learn. This is a special presentation of Behind the Markets on Business Radio, Sirius XM 111. Here again is Jeremy Schwartz. Welcome back to Behind the Markets here in Business Radio, powered by the Warren School. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, joined in the studio by Wes Gray, Akshay Matsukani, and we've got Christopher Swan, founder of Cygnus Capital here, another Wharton graduate with us on Wharton Reunion Radio Weekend. Um, Christopher, welcome to our studio here. Thank you for having me. Welcome back to campus. Um, so you are now you know, sort of founder of Cygnus Capital. You have a few different funds, a uh, real estate fund, a private equity fund. Um, but after Wharton, it looks like you uh, went to McKinsey and then also SAC Capital. Is that uh, is that correct? Do you want to talk a little bit about your career after after Wharton? Sure. I've uh, done a lot of things uh, after Wharton. Uh, initially, I worked for uh, McKinsey in Atlanta in strategic consulting uh, and then started uh, some software companies uh, in the dot-com era, if you guys remember that back in the day. Um, that led to uh, me uh, joining a hedge fund, actually, and doing stock investing, a, a hedge fund called GMT Capital in Atlanta. Georgia, uh, where I uh, built out their uh, technology investment platform, uh, opened up their Hong Kong office uh, uh, for investing, um, and ultimately you came back from Hong Kong. You didn't want to stay. Came back from Hong Kong, yeah. So that was in uh, uh, ninety, let's say, two thousand three to two thousand eight. Um, really interesting, dynamic time in, in Asia for sure. Um, and then I got an opportunity to work for Steve Cohen uh, from two thousand eight to two thousand thirteen. Very interesting. And so we yeah. were at, at, at Cohen's shop, you were doing long-short technology? Yeah. So basically the same uh, same strategy that I was doing at the hedge fund in Atlanta. I uh, built out a team where we had um, uh, a team of seven people. We had three analysts in, uh, in, in Hong Kong, two in Japan, and one in the U.S. We were covering uh, technology globally and then also uh, Asia as a geography. So a uh, pretty big mandate in terms of... Uh, the area that I, I covered, both from a sector standpoint and from a geography standpoint, um, but really interesting time to be in the markets, obviously with the financial crisis, and and then to look at the impact of the financial crisis uh, globally. So, what do you think about technology generally? From you know, you talked about the the sort of tech bubble in ninety eight, ninety nine. Like, how do you think today? What are, where are we in the tech cycle today? What do you think about tech yeah. generally today versus back then? Yeah. Well. Uh, you know, I'm I'm 47. I wouldn't say I've seen every cycle in the world, but I've started to see a few now. And so that's interesting. Uh, when I look back at my experiences in starting a, a company and being an entrepreneur in the in the dot com era, and then being an investor uh, through uh, the financial crisis and also through the dot com era, uh, you know, you do start to see patterns, um, and uh, you, you start to see. Uh, uh, exuberance, and you see sort of the willingness for people to forget what has happened in the past. Um, and I think um, I think we're sort of setting up in one of those scenarios. It's hard to say how how long this will run in terms of the uh, in terms of the market's exuberance here, but I think we're closer to the end than the beginning uh, for sure, uh, which is an easy statement to say. But uh, we're definitely at kind of elevated levels from an evaluation standpoint. I think, um, uh, but you know, it could go quite. Quite, quite a bit further, uh, as we saw in 1999. Yeah. Sometimes you go, you know, many, many standard deviations from away from what you think is possible. But um, 
but I, I don't know. It's a long answer, but yeah, yeah, hard to say exactly where we are. But I think we're, I think we're sort of in the on the elevated side from a valuation perspective. So, Christopher, this is Wes. You've obviously got quite the pedigree from reading your bio there. Uh, it sounds like five funds you started, two software companies, kind of done it all. You, you might elaborate on what you're what you're doing right now and how you're trying to either take advantage of this misvaluation or opportunities in the market? Yeah, sure. So I think that's a great characterization of, of sort of how I've approached my, my, my career and, and, and certainly the fund that I – or company I started after I left, left SAC. Um, so when I left, uh, it was in 2013, um, and there was an opportunity in the, in the, real, in the uh, real estate market really to take advantage of distressed uh, property values. So I had personally done some investing in the 2011-2012 uh, time period – uh, buying distressed real estate, primarily in the southeast, um, we we're buying pools of of uh, commercial real estate and uh, defaulted debt, um, which we were doing workouts on, and that led to the foundation of, of Sigma's Capital. So our first four funds were focused around uh, raising a capital and investing um, uh, money in in the real estate market, which was again a little bit of a departure from what I was doing before, but. Um, from a fundamental standpoint, a lot of the exercise, at least from an investment standpoint, is the same. So Cygnus Capital focused on that, um, on our first four funds. They were private equity-type structures. And then more recently, we've, uh, we've launched a, a long-short equity hedge fund, which is similar to what I was doing at GMT and SAC. Very nice. What was it? Quantitative-driven, qualitative, technology-focused? What's the... What's the high level process? Yeah, so so the, um, on the on the on the real estate side, it's really value orientation, trying to find an opportunity where we, we can uh, we can add value. And we, I do have a couple of partners, uh, so my partners uh, help particularly on the real estate side. Uh, but the um, the process there really is 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 looking for a, a discount to, to market. You know, so if I think about my investment approach, it's always been trying to find uh, you know valuation disconnects. And so certainly there was a really large one uh, in, in that on the real estate side and on the hedge fund side. Uh, what what we've what we've really been been doing here is uh, recently is is applying a quantitative approach to the framework of investing. Um, and I can give some examples here in a bit, but. Um, but basically, what we do is we use some quantitative uh, modeling to uh, to suss out um, uh, situations that are are many standard deviations away from a norm. So we try to find very high probabilistic uh, scenarios, and then do fundamental uh, analysis after that. So so uh, you know we're just trying to set ourselves up for situations where there's um, you know a good uh, st- you know statistical chance that we can uh, have an out you know outperformance. Um, so it's a blend of quantitative to sort of find uh, and narrow the funnel, if you will. If you take the 8,000 or 10,000 uh, stocks that you could invest in in a given day, that's impossible to think to think through. And, and so we try to use some quantitative analysis to find opportunities to to uh, to find those uh, needles in a haystack, so to speak. And then we uh, provide uh, then we then we do fundamental analysis against that to uh, to, to to fill out the portfolio. This is Akshay. Quick question on uh, on really the the people that you have around you. You know, I recognize that uh, we have a, a small team, and you know, building out uh, with the partners, uh, it can be extremely critical in terms of you know how you guys get along, how you work together. Uh, you know, if you could just share some thoughts on how you went around finding uh, your your partners and your and your team, and and how it's been so far. Yeah, that's a great. I think. Um, I have a great appreciation over my career and, and what a small group of people can do if they're motivated and, and they have the right chemistry. I think I think team building is, is super important, but it's also very hard. Um, and so 
that is a constant uh, struggle in in the companies I've been involved with or founded is is getting that right that chemistry right, finding the right people, motivating them. Um, it's it's certainly uh, it's an under uh, appreciated. Uh, uh, skill set, and I'm not saying I'm an expert at it by any any stretch, but it's it's certainly something that we, we focus on, and we try to uh, always uh, put the right people in the right right positions, and then motivate them. It's interesting to hear you describe the process as sort of blend of quant, looking for these outliers, then applying fundamentals. And and when you think about quant, and sort of Wes and I think about quant from a value perspective a lot. Like, does value apply to tech? Like. Are you looking for value stories within tech? Or are you looking for, like, earnings growth that's a big outlier? Like, how do you think, like, what's the process that works? Yeah, a, a great, great question. Uh, generally speaking, I think uh, tech, the tech sector is a great place to look for shorts. Uh, I'll just say that kind of flat out. Hmm. And the reason for that is you've got typically got high valuation. You've got tremendous technological innovation. Uh, you've got op- obsolescence risk. Uh, you've got, uh, you know, entrepreneurs that are working really very, very hard every day to, to be the next greatest thing. Uh, so I think to having a to have to have a sustainable competitive advantage in technology is, you know, sort of almost impossible. I mean, there are companies out there that, that have have done that for a long time. You can talk about Microsoft and Intel and, and a few, but um, but by and large, the uh, the tech sector is an uh, is an, a sector that's uh, got constant disruption by design. Um, and so it 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 is better. It is a better area to look for short opportunities. Um, but certainly, there are some long. Opportunities. There's, and if you can get in early, and you can find a company that's underlooked, that has the growth potential, that uh, that can be there for a, a period of time, or perhaps even on a sustainable basis, they can make very interesting and, and uh, powerful longs. But I would say, in general, it's a better area to, on the short side. Christopher, this is Wes. Uh, quick question on the on the short side. I, I agree with you, but you know, a lot of times, shortened tech firms like playing with fire. Yeah. H- how do you manage that risk of being right, but Maybe being wrong right. on the way there. Yeah, you got any inside baseball on that? <laughs> yeah, I'll give you. I'll give you an example uh, that I think is interesting. as maybe just an insight and in, in, in some of the way we combine quantitative analysis and, and, and fundamental stock picking. So, so you know, when I talked earlier about looking at the markets and trying to find unique situations where we're uh, where there's outliers, uh, we we do this a lot, in a lot of different ways. But just to give one example, we have a model that we call kind of high growth uh, growth and uh, euphoria. Uh, expectations reset model. It's a lot of words there, but basically the idea is is if you think about high growth companies, uh, they can grow a long time, right? Uh, and the valuations can match that. Um, but when do you? When is the opportunity? When does that reset happen? Um, and generally, the markets are very. Uh, if you think about behavioral economics, markets and people tend to be optimistic, um, but usually that optimism is incorrect. Um, and, and so, how can you kind of quantify that and, and, and look for opportunities from an investment standpoint? So, so we will look for uh, for as as just one example. Uh, if you if you look over the last uh, three decades and you, and you look at all the companies that are above uh, price to sales ratio of five, um, and 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 you look at specific events when they say let's say they had the down day of ten percent, just that one factor. So a price to sales ratio of a company that's greater than five and it has a down day of of greater than ten percent. Uh, it's over the next next twenty trading days as an example. That company typically, on average, will be flat. But if you look over a two-year period, that that company, on average, will be down uh, 24%. And the median company of that universe will be down 50%. So if you think about that from an investment uh, uh, universe standpoint, that's a pretty interesting uh, area to to start doing some stock picking in. Um, So those are the types of things, as an example, where we try to balance – 
uh, sort of that euphoria, that timing aspect in a, in a subset of the market that is very high, high, probable, uh, high probably to have a good outcome that we're looking for, in this case a short outcome. Um, so it's, it's uh, instead of just sort of looking writ large, I'm going to short Tesla or I'm going to short whatever, you know, the high valuation company is, that's very difficult and, and, and very hard. But if you look at a situation where you've got a trigger perhaps or you've got a high po- probable outcome, then the universe, universe gets smaller and the number of companies you have to analyze and look at is also smaller. Yeah, this is Akshay Christopher. You have a uh, fantastic background, and uh, you're, you, you've successfully, you know, created your firm. In terms of your own time spent, uh, in terms of your different strategies, you mentioned you have some partners. If you could just uh, kind of let us know what, what does your average day look like? Yeah. So, uh, like I said, the firm got started on the on the private equity and real estate side. Uh, that that consumed a lot of our early years, um, and also a good bit of my time. Um, you know, increasingly, you know, I, I like. I, I like the um, I like the investment process. Um, what I have tried to do increasingly is to set up the firm so that I can spend more of my time on the analysis and investment process and less on the administrative and uh, management part, um, which ties into your previous question. That's hard to do. It, you know, it'd be nice if you could just sit in a room and make money by yourself, but it doesn't work that way. You got to build a company. So, uh, so it is difficult. It's a challenge. I think uh, I'm sure you have a lot of entrepreneurs on your on your show. That, that that how do you you know how do you balance that team building part of it with the actual business part of it? Um, and uh, and I, that's very true in investment management. I mean, the nice thing about investment management is you can with a smaller group of people, um, uh, you know, manage a lot of uh, capital and scale. Um, but at the same time, you, you know, you have to build the organization and, and have the, the right team. So uh, so I try as much as I can to to spend as much of my time on the investment process part uh, and and less on the management part. But it's, uh, you know, you can't really ignore it. Actually, flipping that back to you, like, how are you spending your time managing Malabar? Thank you. So for me, uh, you know, I started in uh, 2009 with uh, with Sumit, and at the point in time, we were really just a couple of people. Uh, and what I realized is coming in from the U.S. Uh, and into India, while I had a, a great relationship base, uh, spending time really understanding the business was kind of the starting point. So the first few years, I just spent on investments, leveraging the relationship base. Uh, many of my friends run uh, the public uh, you know, companies where we, we look at or, uh, or kind of acquaintances of mine. And so it's, it's a very relationship-based culture, and we've been very uh, kind of lucky to have you know, the access to these people. And in terms of just going ahead and doing our diligence, getting certain insights uh, into the businesses and kind of the decision-making from, the, you know, from these groups, it's been important. And then slowly I dovetailed into the business development, leveraging uh, the Wharton network, and, and bringing groups such as the Oppenheimers to the table to uh, to really grow the grow the firm. And so to today, I try and spend fifty uh, fifty. I have two dedicated uh, resources on uh, on the business development. It really depends on the year, you know how it how it goes by. Uh, on in terms of my time, really the first few hours of the day just reading uh, would be a, a successful day, you know, you know for me. Uh, but we got to also be uh, uh, cognizant of uh, you know the the team building uh, that we uh, that we discussed. It's uh, a twelve person team, and so there's a lot of uh, management stuff that, that comes in and that's probably the the one thing going into this uh, this role that I did not expect is the human management piece managing uh, the investors managing the team as well as uh, managing the, the the CEOs and the, the owners of these companies uh, it's a it's a full-time exercise There's, we often say managing people and personalities is harder than doing your day job day to day that's that's actually the key part of your day job is managing people workflows and processes one of our this is Wes one of our big clients 
here he gave me some advice early on. He says, Wes, humans bad, computers good. <laughs> and, and, and the and the more you, you work with people, I mean I love people too, but I, I, I see the uh the wisdom in that statement more and more over, over time. I don't know. Actually you gotta figure out how you get a computer to uh do your qualitative assessment. <laughs> yeah. Well hey, that new Google duplex, have you seen that? That was insane. Yeah, they've got they've got some new uh technology. Maybe maybe you can hire Google to you know, quiz the CEOs or something. I, uh, <laughs> I, I think it's so true, though. You find a company that uh, has figured out how to manage uh, a lot of people in scale is very impressive, right? It's just don't see it that often. Um, you know, whether it's a service industry or, or whatever, the, or a manufacturing industry, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a challenge. But the companies that do it well, you know, they've got it in their DNA. So We're, we're talking with Chris Swan of Cygnus Capital, Akshay Manasukhani of Malabar. We got Wes Gray, Alpha Architect, all Wharton grads here on Reunion Weekend, uh, Radio Weekend. Uh, Chris, when you think about the different funds you have, the you know the, the real estate and the tech and the long-short hedge fund, is there it? Do you think one's a better opportunity than another? Where would you, you know, if you're, you're allocating your own capital, you know, where do you think the, the opportunities are today? Yeah, that, that's a, a great question. Uh, you, you know, I, I think we mentioned previously, uh, you know, I, I look for uh, big dislocations in, in the market uh, and, and investment opportunity. I... I Personally, where I like to invest my capital and, and then also the, the, hopefully the capital of our investors is in opportunities that uh, that really have a, a meaningful upside. And to me, that means a, a kind of a double over three years at least, uh, or if you're looking at a, a short opportunity, kind of 50% down uh, over the same time period. Um, in, in, in real estate, it's the same way. Uh, you know, I think going into an investment where you have to put a – a lot of debt on a on on equity to get a levered return. You're you're, you're really kind of squeezing the lemon hard there to 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 to, to get a reasonable return. Um, so that was in, what was interesting in the financial crisis is that as a cash buyer of distressed assets, you could really pick up a lot of assets way below their replacement cost, um, which was a unique event in the in the market. Um, and there's still opportunities in the real estate sector today, even uh, even this far along. But uh, but those are the opportunities we look for personally and also for our, our investors. Uh, Christopher, this is uh, Wes. Um, quick question, and, and you don't have to answer. It's a hard one. But uh, there's this portfolio I call the uh, Millennial 6040. Uh -huh. It's uh, 60% Tesla and 40% Bitcoin. Uh, do you have any uh, opinions on that? Uh, Bitcoin, the... long Tesla? Or, yeah, or, yeah. Or, yeah. Which one? <laughs> well, they're or long, long both long Okay, just long uh, both. I'm curious yeah. what you think about some of these hot topics out there. Yeah, they're uh, – they might – so I knew Bitcoin was a top, and I love my son. He's a great son, uh, boy, and uh, – but he said, "Hey, Dad, you got to buy some Bitcoin." This is, uh, I think, right around December fifteenth. So that that was an interesting point in Bitcoin's uh, uh, price. And and I told him no. I know that was too speculative. He came back like a week later, and it was like up twenty percent. I said, "Dad, I told you so." And I, 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 there's not there's been many times in my investment career where somebody said, "I told you so." Uh, and and that's fine, right? Over short time periods, you, you can be wrong, you know. But you but I I think when you have some. Um, time under your belt, you realize you sort of got to look a little further than, you know, a few days or a few weeks or a few months. Uh, and so, yeah. so I think Bitcoin is really interesting. The underlying technology blockchain is super interesting. Uh, but I think if you, I think the best analogy is 1999. I mean, think of all the companies in 1999 that aren't here today, but think all the great companies that are here, right? So, 
you know, the, the pets.com and all that kind of nonsense is gone. But we still have Amazon and we have some still still have some uh, fantastic companies around. And I think that same thing is we're going to happen in, in the Bitcoin space. You got, I don't know, what is it, 800 and, you know, coin offerings at this point. Um, you know, 99% of those will be gone. Maybe it'll be 2 or 3% that will still, still be around. And it's really hard to pick out which ones. Tesla is, a, and I, I could go on, Tesla's another, another really interesting one. Um, um, you know, love the, love the product, they hate the stock, I guess, is the best way I'd describe it. Yeah. Makes sense. W- what about the FANG stocks? You got any, uh, just people love to hear, and you're obviously an expert, like Facebook, yeah. Amazon, Netflix, Google. What's yeah. the long I, I, short? <laughs> Uh, so from a competitive, uh, differentiation standpoint, you know, I do think Amazon's a company, again, I don't think the valuations, um, I think the valuation at some point will stall out, Uh, you know, again, you know, look at it, look at a company like Microsoft in the, in the dot-com run-up, um, you know, a very rare, very rapid growth, but at some point, you know, the valuation has to keep up with itself, uh, keep, you know, catch up. And so those companies, whether they're Microsoft, Dell, uh, you know, any company that has a really, really high growth period will hit a point where the stock just flattens out for a long time. Um, and so I, I think we're probably at the very beginning of a phase like that for many of these high growth companies. Um, um, that, that, so Amazon, I think, would be a company that, you know, certainly going to be around. Facebook probably too, Um uh, just because I think the network effect is so powerful, but if you, I would compare. I think an interesting analogy is like a Facebook versus a Snapchat, right? Snapchat's probably not very defensible. Um, you know, it's been something I've been short for some time, um, just because it's more of a feature than a business. Um, whereas I think Facebook actually probably is a business. That doesn't mean the valuation's interesting or, or necessarily I buy it, but 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 if I wouldn't short a Facebook, but I would short a Snapchat. Our final two minute countdown. I know another big deal in this related space, Flipkart in, in India. Uh, any any quick comments on uh, the deal there? Um, you know, so uh, the, uh, the in terms of businesses, the Indian homegrown businesses in the e-commerce space, which are you know clear leaders in uh, in what they do. I think just having that competitive uh, advantage and and being in that top position in a space which is growing really rapidly, just point of point of reference. I think the e-commerce business in India is close to 20 billion. China is close to 900 billion right now. So clearly, there's a tremendous amount of growth. And I think uh, running that business, uh, there was, I think, from an investor's perspective, there was an issue where there was a fair amount of capital that went in, uh, and so a lot of products were being sold below cost, and that happened uh, for a couple of years. And it was a fair amount of disruption to the brick and mortar space as well. So I think that's now gone away. Uh, but uh, you know, few people kind of uh, recognize that how disruptive an investor can be. You know. To a business model, uh, and I think, in, from a strategic perspective, uh, they're going to go. Uh, my sense is with uh, with the highest price. Maybe, maybe it's a it's a Walmart. Uh, clearly, you know, I'm biased in in terms of that's what I what I do. But clearly, the the consumption story in in India is huge, uh, and e-commerce is uh, you know something which is going to really explode you know over over a period of time. So I think uh, I don't think they're going to lose any money on uh, on the transaction long term, uh, but uh, it's definitely very heartening to see the global interest in India. Well. Wes, Akshay, Chris, we're out of time. Happy uh, Wharton Reunion weekend. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for being with us. You've been listening to Behind the Markets on Sirius XM 111. Have a great week, everybody. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 